Let's have a prayer. Lord, we thank you and praise you for who you are. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your son, Jesus. We thank you for the Holy Spirit. We thank you for the many things you're doing in each one of our lives. Truly, you are worthy, Lord. And right now, as we look at your word about the working of miracles, we just invite you, Spirit of God, to come and minister from the word that you inspired. Lord, I pray for a spirit of revelation and knowledge, understanding. Lord, stir us up by your Spirit that we might understand that anybody can be used in these gifts. You don't have to be some big name someplace. Lord, you're wanting to bless your people through these giftings. And so I'm asking you to stir us up, Holy Spirit, and we'll be careful to give you all the glory, praise, and honor. This is your church, your meeting. You do whatever you want to do. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Last week we covered two, two of the gifts, the gift of faith and the gifts of healings. And I know I went through it pretty fast, and it still took a while. <laughs> So let's just review that real quickly. I'll just give you a few points from that. Um, we found out that the gift of faith takes us way beyond our measure of faith that we have in our everyday life to live by. Um, we found out it can be recognized by tremendous boldness comes upon you, absolute confidence. And, you know, you might feel the anointing sometimes or the one that you're praying for. And we found out that the gift of faith will work if you're the only one believing. It doesn't matter if anybody else in the auditorium is not believing. But if you, the gift of faith is on you and you're believing, it'll still happen. So a supernatural gift of faith is an infusion of God's faith to meet a specific need at a specific moment, a specific time. Like you're praying for some guy with cancer and you need a little more faith and God gives you the gift of faith, and you pray for them, and the cancer's gone. He goes and has it checked in two or three weeks whenever he's got another appointment, and it's not there. Then we looked at the gift of healings, and it's plural. We found out some people have anointings in certain areas where, like specialties, let's say, like a doctor who specializes in one thing or another, and they have a great success when they're praying for those needs in that area. And that's as much success in other areas. Um, so some people have a special anointing in certain areas. I gave you 23 healing scriptures. Um, I'm, I wish you would hold on to them. They were categorized for you. Um, there's a lot more, but that's a good start. And in Acts 10.38, we found out the devil is the oppressor. As you already know, we were reminded of that, and God is the healer. One of his names is Jehovah Rapha, which means the Lord who heals. And it's actually the Hebrew word for doctor, Rapha. The gift of healings are to minister to the sick in the power of the Spirit with a divine grace gift to destroy the works of the devil, the oppressor. I'll give you a few things that you can identify it with when that gift comes on you. Sometimes it's tangible. You can actually feel the anointing when that gift is on you. Um, not all the time. 
Um, it would be a great feeling of accomplishment when you pray for somebody. Um, like when you've done a good project at home and it turned out just the way you wanted it to. And we, uh, just a reminder that we always want to minister the gifts in a spirit of love, faith, and expectations. If you don't expect anything, that's exactly what you'll receive. Nothing. So you want to mix your faith with the Word of God, always. Mix your faith with the Word of God. Um, you know, you can mix it with the person that you're praying for, but you want to mix it with the Word of God. You want to agree with God's Word, what it says in His Word. And it helps if you can, if they can visualize themselves as being healed, the person you're praying for, and you too. If you can visualize them healed while you're praying, uh, it really makes a difference. Some of the people I've interviewed after things have happened, you know, they saw themselves well before they became well. They had like a premonition of it or whatever you want to call it. So that's just a quick review of some of the things we looked at last week. And uh, today we're going to look at the gift of working of miracles. And I just want to read 1 Corinthians 12, 10. It says, To another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another different kinds of tongues, and to another the interpretation of tongues. But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. It's all about the Spirit of God as he wills to minister to someone at that particular moment. He may zap you with a gift, um, whatever it takes to get that person whole again. Now, most people put the working of miracles and the gifts of healings in the same category. And however, they are different, but they often work together. The gift of faith, the gifts of healings, and the working of miracles oftentimes work together in tandem, overlap. And you'll see that as we go, go through this. Um, you know, the gift of healings was is to, if you want to define that, was to, as we said last week, to deliver the sick um, and destroy the works of the devil, the oppressor. Um, and you can have a healing miracle. Um, in other words, a healing is a process. It takes time. But if you have a healing miracle, it's done like that or overnight. Some catastrophic thing is, just happens. And that's a healing miracle. And so, um, you know, there's an instant manifestation or just kind of overnight. The gift of healings, as I said, and the working of miracles and, and the gift of faith as well work together. But when you get uh, the working of miracles takes us over into the creative power of God. It's, it's just a much wider scope. Uh, when you're talking about gifts of healings, you're just talking about the human body um, for the most part. Or, you know, God will heal animals. You know, prayed for a horse one time in Colorado. <laughs> and uh, I didn't want to pray for the horse because he almost broke my leg. But anyway, prayed for the horse and he was, God fixed him. Um, you know, me and some other people. So, 
Um, but this, this, this working of miracles takes on a much broader scape, scope than just our physical bodies or our mental situation. It's talking about any kind of a thing. Uh, it, uh, if we understand the differences, it helps us as we minister to other people. To define the working of miracles, uh, I wrote this out. It's in your notes. A mir- the working of miracles is a supernatural intervention of the ordinary course of nature. A temporary suspension, as it were, of the accustomed order through the Spirit of God. In other words, it does things that are not natural, that don't just don't happen. Um, and how do you identify it? It's harder to identify than the other gifts because it just shows up. Wham! It's just there. And you can identify it by the speed of the way things happen. Uh, most of the time, the working of miracles is in operation. There's instantaneous things that happen. And some of you have experienced these things and weren't sure what it was. It's the working of miracles. Because a healing is a process. If you break your arm, they'll set your arm in a cast and it'll take a while for that to heal. The body will heal itself. And they might give you some medication and stuff like that. But if you pray for somebody with a broken arm and all of a sudden it's okay, or it's okay the next morning, that's, that's a creative uh, healing miracle, amen? That's the working of miracles. So there's, there's a big difference. But they go, it's a much wider scope than just our body. So the only way to recognize it that I know is by the speed of the way things happen, instant manifestations. And many times you have the working of miracles and the gifts of healings and the gift of faith all working together. Um, just like the triune God. Hallelujah. <clears throat> so I listed some Old Testament examples here. I don't know if we look at all of them if we have time. We're not going to read Exodus 7 to 14. Those are chapters. And it talks about the plagues that God put on Egypt through Moses. I just listed them in your notes. Water became blood. That's intervention into nature. There's frogs everywhere. There might be a couple of frogs in the pond, but they're not in your kitchen and in your bowls and under your bed. Then there was lice everywhere. And there was flies everywhere. And there was livestock disease. And everybody had boils break out on them. Then God sent hail the next plague and destroyed much of their crops. But the hail didn't destroy. He sent the locusts to eat up. Then there was darkness. And then the tenth plague finally was the death of the firstborn of Egypt. And when that happened, Pharaoh finally let Israel go. But none of these things that God did were natural. These, these were not natural things that happened. And that's what I'm saying. It's an intervention in the ordinary course of nature. Hallelujah. So let's take a look at a few Old Testament examples. Exodus uh, 14, 21 and 22. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord caused the sea to go back by a strong east wind. All that night, 
and made the sea into dry land, and the waters were divided. So the children of Israel went into the midst of the sea on the dry ground, and the waters were a wall to them on the right and on their left. So that's a tremendous miracle, spreading the Red Sea, splitting it, and then having the water walled up. That's a working of miracles. But there was another one in, in play here. The children of Israel had to have faith in God and trust in God that when they went into that water, although it's walled up on both sides of them, that it was going to stay that way until they got to the other side. Amen? Amen? They had to believe that. I wouldn't go in there if I didn't believe it, would you? The Egyptians found out what happened. So there was a couple of gifts working there, probably the gift of faith in those people. Then in 2 Kings 1, verse 10, uh, the king was upset with Elijah, and he sent 50 soldiers, a captain and 50 soldiers, to arrest him. So Elijah answered and said to the captain of the 50, If I am a man of God, then let fire come down from heaven and consume you and your 50 men. And fire came down from heaven and consumed him and his 50 men. Well, the king sent 50 more guys and another captain. Then he sent to him another captain and 50, with 50 of his men. And he answered and said that a man of God, thus says the king, said, come down quickly. So Elijah answered and said to them, if I am a man of God, let fire come down from heaven and consume you and your 50 men. And the fire of God came down from heaven and consumed him and his 50. I can assure you that nobody was volunteering to go arrest Elijah. <laughs> and then they sent another 50 and, and the angel of God came to Elijah and said, go ahead, go with him. And the whole army will be gone if you keep on calling down fire. But notice words were in play. You might have heard the term, there's a miracle in your mouth. And there's more, more to that than people think. A lot of people have just discounted that. But words are very important, especially as a spirit-filled child of God. When you say something, it carries weight in the kingdom because you are royalty. You're not just a little nobody living in Goldman. You're sons and daughters of the king, amen? So when you say something, the king backs it up, if it's according to his word and his will. <clears throat> All right. Then we got uh, the one with Elijah and the widow. Um, and <clears throat> Second Kings 4. I don't know if we want to read all that, you know the story. A certain woman of the wives of the sons of the prophets cried to Elijah, saying, Your servant, my husband, is dead. And you know that your servant feared the Lord. And the creditor is coming to take my two sons uh, to be his slaves. So Elijah said to her, What shall I do for you? Tell me, what do you have in the house? And she said, Your maidservant has nothing in the house but a jar of oil. Then he said, go borrow vessels from everyone, from all your neighbors, empty vessels. Do not gather just a few. And when you have come in, you shall shut the door behind you and your sons, then pour into all those vessels and set aside the full ones. 
So she went. She had to be obedient, see? So she went from him and shut the door behind her and her sons and brought the vessels to her, and she poured, poured it out. Now it came to pass that when the vessels were full, that she said to her son, bring me another vessel. And he said to her, there is not another vessel. So the oil ceased. Then she came and told the man of God, and he said, go sell the oil, pay your debt, and you and your sons live on the rest. So we don't know how many vessels there were, but she had one little jar of oil, and she filled all these vessels with it, and it was enough to sell, to pay her debt. It might have been thousands of dollars, we don't know. Then there was enough left over for her to live on besides that. So this was, this woman became an, an oil typhoon, like <laughs> some of these Texas guys, you know. I mean, there was oil everywhere. They ran out of vessels. All their neighbors, everybody, there was no more. So it was quite an amount if she had enough to pay her debt, whatever that was, and still had money to live on. Amen? Yeah. It was no small, small little dab. So that's not natural. That's an intervention of God in the course of nature. A temporary suspension of the accustomed order through the Spirit of God. Um, then there's Samson. This guy is something. <clears throat> Judges 16, 1-3. Now Samson had some character flaws. And God used him in the working of miracles in that gift several times. And that gives me comfort. I don't have the same character flaw that he had, but I have character flaws. And I suspect there are some of you out there that have some character flaws. That's not going to hinder you from being used by God. Okay? Verse 16, 1. Now Samson went to Gaza and saw a harlot there and went into her. When the Gazites were told Samson was come here, they surrounded the place and lay in wait for him all night at the gate of the city. They were quiet all night, saying in the morning, when it is daylight, we will kill him. And Samson laid low until midnight. Then he arose at midnight, took hold of the doors of the gate of the city, in other words, the city gates and the two gate posts pulled them up, bar and all, put them on his shoulders and carried them to the top of a hill facing Hebron. So God gave him supernatural strength. Those doors and gates were huge things in, in the Bible. And he just grabbed them, pulled them right out of the ground, put them on his shoulders, walked up this big hill with them and put them up there. It's just amazing. Despite his character flaws, God gave him supernatural strength. So those are just a few Old Testament um, examples of the gift of working of miracles. There's many, many more. Uh, we could be here all day looking at them. Now let's look at a few in the New Testament where we live. <clears throat> First one is found in John 2, 1 to 11. 
On the third day there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. And both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding, and when they ran out of wine, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. Jesus said to her, Woman, what does you, your concern have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Whatever he says to do, just do it. Now there were set there six water pots of stone, according to the manner of purification of the Jews, containing 20 and 30 gallons apiece. Jesus said to them, Fill the water pots with water, and they filled them to the brim. And he said to them, Draw some and now take it to the master of the feast. And he took it. When the master of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine and did not know where it came from, but the servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom. And he said to him, Every man at the beginning sets out the good wine. And when the guests have well drunk, then, he, then the inferior, you have kept the good wine until now. This beginning of signs Jesus did in Cana of Galilee, and the manifestation manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him. So the very first miracle that Jesus did was a working of miracles. That's not normal to have water turned into wine. If it was, none of these vineyards in Missouri and around the country would be raising grapes. They would just fill water pots, speak to them. Amen? Amen? Why hire people and do all that work? So it's an, it's an intervention. Those are the working, working of miracles. Um, Jesus did that with six words. There's words involved once again. You know, there's a miracle in your mouth. You believe it in your heart and you say it with your mouth. Um, good things can happen. All right. Words are important is all I'm saying. <clears throat> and in John 6, right here in John, John 6, 5 to 15, then Jesus lifted up his eyes and seeing a great multitude coming toward him, he said to Philip, um, coming toward him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread that these may eat? But this he said to test Philip, test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them that every one of them may have a little. Even if you had a Wonder Bread truck, it wouldn't be enough. One of his disciples, Andrew Simon Peter's brother, said to him, there is a lad here that has five loaves, barley loaves, and two small fish. But what are they among so many? Then Jesus said, make the people sit down. I was When I was in Israel a few years ago, I was at this site. Now there was much grass in that place, so the men sat down in numbers of about 5,000. And Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to the disciples and the disciples to those sitting down, and likewise of the fish, as much as they wanted. In other words, they were all full. So when they were filled, he said to his disciples, gather up the fragments that remain so that nothing is lost. Therefore they gathered them up, the fragments, five barley loaves which were left over by those who had eaten. Then, the, uh, then those men that they had seen this sign that Jesus did said, this is truly a prophet who is coming into the world. So there's 12 baskets full left over. 
So if Jesus fed everybody with a little boy's lunch, okay? Five barley loaves and a couple fish. Amazing. 5,000 men, and many of those were married and their wives were with them. And then children, we don't know how many people were there, but there was way more than 5,000 that were fed, okay? He just counted the men. <clears throat> so let's just keep going. In verse 15, there's another working of miracles right here in John 6, um, 15 to 21. Therefore, when Jesus perceived that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, he departed again to a mountain by himself alone. Now when evening he had come, his disciples went down to the sea, got into the boat, and went over the sea toward Capernaum. And it was already dark, and Jesus had not come to them. Then the sea rose, became a great wind uh, was blowing. I mean, when you study that out, it's like a hurricane. So when they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and drawing near to the boat, and they were afraid. They were terrified. But he said to them, It is I, do not be afraid. Then they willingly received him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land where they were going. So there's a couple things right here. Some of you that live up north like I did, if you're from the north, you've probably walked on water in the middle of the winter when it was 20 below zero and the ice was two foot thick. But that's not the case here. Jesus is walking on water, literally. And then when he gets into the boat, first they were afraid he was a ghost and all that. When they finally recognized it was him, they had, come on in the boat. He got into the boat, and the boat was immediately from the middle of the sea transported to the land where they were going over to Capernaum. Now, there's stories of that kind of thing happening today. Um, there's a guy from Sweden that was transported from a checkpoint in Germany or something, place over there. This just happened a few years ago. He just found himself where he was supposed to be. <laughs> and, you know, God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Amen? Amen? And we have to realize what he did in the Bible, he will do today. He's just looking for vessels. Okay? He's looking for vessels to use. We are his ambassadors, his hands and his feet. And so if he doesn't do it through us, it's not going to get done. So we have to position ourselves to be used by him in these different gifts. Hallelujah. So he walked on the water, and uh, so there's two, of, two things happen there. And I want to share one more with you. It's not in your notes. It's Acts chapter 3. <clears throat> 1 to 10. This is a story of the man at the gate, beautiful. So this wasn't Jesus now. This was Peter and John. Now Peter and John went up to, together to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. A certain man, lame from his mother's womb, was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful to ask alms from those who entered the temple. Well, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked for alms, and fixing his eyes 
on him with John and Peter said, look at us. So he gave them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. Then Peter made this uh, great statement. Peter said, silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up, and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. And he, leaping up, stood and walked and entered the temple with them, walking, leaping, and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. Then they knew that it was he who sat begging alms in the beautiful gate of the temple. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Now, there's a couple of things here. This guy, we know that he was over 40 years old. Okay? And he was crippled from birth. So he had never walked. Okay? So if you've never walked, your muscles do not uh, develop. There's a medical term for that, but I don't know what it is. So, so, This is the guy that leapt up when he grabbed him by the hand. And that's a, a working of miracles. That's not just a healing. That's a healing miracle. Because a healing would have been for him to, you know, have go through therapy and, and learn how to walk and strengthen his muscles and everything like that after prayer. But it was instantaneous and look it over in uh, let's go down to verse 14 and the, the Sanhedrin and the, 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 the leaders Jewish leaders didn't like that and seeing the man who had been healed standing with them um, you know they arrested Peter and John they couldn't they couldn't really say nothing against it it says verse 15 but they commanded them to go aside out of the council, and they conferred among themselves, saying, What shall we do to these men? For indeed that a notable miracle has been done through them is evident to all who dwell in Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. That's the thing about the working of miracles. It cannot be denied. Amen? I mean, it's just too miraculous. You can't, you can't talk it away. Hallelujah. <laughs> I'm going to share with you a few of the things that I've seen God do over the years in different countries. And I just had to pick out a few things. I mean, he's still doing these things all, all, all the time. Uh, in India, we saw him feed thousands of people two nights in a row. I was over there with Norm Knudsen, and we were doing a crusade out on the edge of nowhere. And the people that were coming all had to walk there. They lived in mud huts. And I'd been to their villages and they, their, there's plates and cups and everything is made out of mud. And they walk into this meeting. And so we were expecting about a thousand people there. And 2,000 people showed up. So they came to me just before the meeting and they said, Brother Warren, there's 2,000 people here. We only have rice for 1,000 people. 
So I thought, well, let's just pray and ask God to multiply the, food, the rice. So we did that. And we no sooner got done praying, and they used a big white cup, and they scooped that in this big container of rice, and then they put that on a banana leaf. And so the guy says, as soon as we got done praying, he says, should we just give him a half a portion? <laughs> I said, absolutely not. We just prayed for God to multiply the food, amen? amen? He doesn't need our help, okay? So they gave him a full portion, and all 2,000 people ate. So the next day, we figured, well, let's, it's a long ways into town. We sent a guy into town to buy rice for 2,000 people. Takes him all day to go in there and get the rice and get back. So he did that. So they cook it all up. So we got rice for 2,000 people. So the second night, they wait till right before I'm going to preach. And then they come and ask me again. There's 3,000 people here. We only have rice for 2,000 people. I said, well, did you see what God did last night? See, the lights don't dim in heaven every time he uses his power. Amen? He's got plenty of power. And so we prayed again. And once again, he supplied all the, all the people ate a full portion. I don't know how he does that stuff. That's not my, that's way above my pay grade. Hallelujah. And in the same meeting, we saw an 18-year-old boy comes up on this little platform. It wasn't any bigger than this. It was up higher. And he's blind. And they lead him up the steps. <laughs> and so I look at Norm, and he says, you pray for him. <laughs> yeah, right. So I prayed for this guy, and everybody's there is disagreeing. And there's water coming out of his eyes. He wasn't crying, but he was, there was tears coming down his eyes. And I knew God was doing something. And so when I got done praying, I backed up like he's by that post. Says, How many fingers? And he said, one. I went all the way across the platform, too, and he could see just fine. And so I said, you can see better than I can. And he went running and jumped off of that platform into the crowd like and there was 3,000 Hindus there, like these rock guys do sometimes, you know, run off the stage. He was pretty excited. And these are things that God did. Um, there's a lot of Hindus got saved that night. So that was a gift of healing, but it was also a working of miracles. You know, you don't just get your sight back, zap. And so um, on another trip over in India, we had a, an orphanage worker received an instant healing. He was paralyzed on his right side with a stroke and a heart attack. Um, we prayed for him, and uh, they kind of set him up. And I thought, well, that's... They've been doing that as his two daughters to feed him broth and stuff. But then he stood up. When he stood up, I knew God was healing him. And anyway, he started to work his hand and the arm. It was, he hadn't used it in three days. I mean, he was okay when we got there, but the day after we got there, he, he had, this all happened to him. So he's laying on this cot for three days. And then we prayed for him. He was able to move his arm, then he was able to move his legs. Then he started running around and jumping and hugging everybody. And uh, some of the guys that were with us from Canada weren't spirit-filled. They wanted to know if that was legitimate healing. Uh, what are you going to do? And the Philippines, as most of you know, we've been going there for 23 years. Um, I've seen 
God healed three blind people over there instantly. Uh, one of them was just blind in one eye. Um, and uh, at least four deaf people that I can remember. But the one that my favorite happened just two years ago, this was a 19-year-old boy that was, he was a deaf mute. And uh, I didn't know that he was deaf even. And they brought him up for prayer. And he's looking at the ground and I'm asking him what he wants prayer for. And he's not saying anything. And one of the pastors whispers in my ears, he can't hear. Oh, okay. So we prayed that God would open his ears. And he did. And actually two, two pastors that graduated from our school pastored that church together. A little country church. And uh, five or six people that in that area that were known drug users got saved that night too. Um, anyway, but it's because of these signs and wonders that God does. People can't deny them. You know, they threw away their drugs, you know. And, and uh, so, uh, so this guy was, uh, what was I talking about? Which one? <clears throat> what a 19-year-old boy. So he, his ears got open, his ears, and now he can hear for the first time. So he's just like this, you know. And I said, what do you, is there anything else you need prayer for? And then they come and whisper in my ear again, well, he can't talk. He's never been able to talk. So I asked God to just loosen his tongue. You know, just pray simple stuff. You don't have to be a bunch of theological stuff. Just keep it simple. Your words are important. And God wanted to heal this young man. Because he has a destiny just like you and just like me, just like every other Christian. He just became a Christian um, probably a half hour before that. He's a brand new Christian. But he was bound in silence, keeping him from his destiny. So now he can hear. So God loosed his tongue. Well, he don't know how to say any words. He's never been taught anything. So I said, can you say, gee, so he goes, ye. I say, can you say us? So he goes, us. I say, now say, put it together and say Jesus. And he goes, Jesus. The first word that 19-year-old boy said was the name of his Savior. Hallelujah. Give God some praise. That's good news. That's my favorite all-time thing that I've seen God do other than my conversion. <laughs> That's the biggest miracle I've ever seen, is my salvation. And there's been thousands saved over there in the last 23 years. That's the greatest miracle, as I just said. God has also built a debt-free Bible school there. That's turning out quality graduates every year. It's a small school. And I was a little concerned about that. God's told me that it's, He's not concerned about the size of the school. He's concerned about the quality of the individuals coming out of the school. Like our little school here and the quality of kids that come out of this school. It's just amazing. Amazing. 
All right, what about America? Does God do these things in America? Yes. As a pastor in Wisconsin, how many of you know who uh, Julie Comer is? Well, this is her dad. He used to be my pastor. It's a Missouri Senate Lutheran Church, and we were having a healing service. Yes, in a Missouri Senate Lutheran Church. <laughs> and he's spirit-filled. And he had a lump behind his ear, his left ear, for over 25 years. So he had that when I was still there, and I had no idea. And what it did was it grew, and it put pressure on a nerve or something, and it messed up his equilibrium. He was having trouble walking and stuff. And he couldn't turn his head to the left. He said, if I turn my head to the left, I'll fall down. I said, no, you won't. I'm going to stand right here and hold on to you. And another guy stood on the other side of him. And God told me to have him turn his head seven times. And so he did. We counted him. And then declare him healed. And I did. And he was. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Glory to God. And the same, uh, we had a lady in Cahoka had a lump behind her ear as well. Cahoka, Missouri, right up near Iowa. Uh, you get a kick out of this one. Um, I was leading worship, Dan. <laughs> Hallelujah. What happened was the worship leader was sick that day, couldn't come in, and the pastor was there, and the police came while the service was going on, and they wanted to talk to him. So he went outside to talk with him. He never came back. They took him to jail. He had been accused of, falsely accused of something, and uh, he was exonerated from it, but it damaged his reputation. So anyway, I'm left alone there. No worship leader, no pastor, so I have to lead the worship. So I'm up there, you know, doing this kind of a thing. And this lady is just praising the Lord. She was sitting right close to where I was in the, in the congregation. All of a 